Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features. Get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book A Little History of the World. Imagine yourself as the mythical Icarus. You put on your wings and fly out of the labyrinth where the Minotaur is trapped. You no longer need to fear this half-man half-bull monster. You can indulge in. Your passion for enjoying the splendid Crete civilization and the magnificent view of the Aegean Sea. The land is broken up into a patchwork of numerous tiny peninsulas and islands, which are outlined by the meandering coastline. You're all too familiar with the pyramids, which lie on the Nile to the south. You fly east and see a flotilla of merchant ships laden with purple fabrics sailing from the eastern shores of the Mediterranean. These merchants are the Phoenicians, who invented the earliest alphabetic writing. People who are using the Greek, Latin, and the Cyrillic alphabet should all be grateful to the Phoenicians for their genius creation. Further east, your view is blocked by an unfinished tower, the Tower of Babel, which was built by the Babylonians in order to reach up to heaven and catch the stars and the moon. On this fertile ground called Mesopotamia, the Sumerians also developed the world's first cities using only clay bricks. They observed the heavens from the towers they built and named the days of the week after the sun, moon, and planets, thus creating a concept of time from chaos. You continue your flight to the east, and this time you hover for quite a while, wondering how long the noble prince under the fig tree will meditate. He is meditating on how the creatures fed by the river Ganges could be freed from their overwhelming misery. Further east is the end of the continent, and you see the herdsmen of the steppe being cut off from the north by a high wall. Stretching thousands of miles, the Great Wall was built by the industrious and intelligent Chinese to defend their ancient homeland on the Yellow River. Mesopotamia, the riverbanks of the Nile, the Ganges and the Yellow River are all sites where civilization and history began. There has never been a written work of world history that is as concise and vivid as a little history of the world. The author of this book E. H. Gombrich was an art historian and art theorist. He was born in Vienna in 1909 into a wealthy Jewish family. In his early years, he studied art history and classical archaeology at the University of Vienna. When Gombrich was a PhD student, the idea for this book came to him. He intended to explain world history to children using simple language, and he achieved his goal with the book A Little History of the World. This bookie will not cover the entire journey from the beginning of civilization to the 20th century. Instead, we will cover three carefully chosen events from the book. Under Gombrich's elegant brushstrokes, you will find yourself infected by his endless and positive expectations for the future of human civilization. Part 1, The Rise and Fall of Ancient Greece. Part 2, The Dawn of Florence. Part 3, The Last Conqueror. When the Greeks came to Greece, they were not yet Greeks. Sounds unbelievable, doesn't it? It is because they weren't yet unified people when they arrived in Greece from the north. These people were divided into four major tribes, the Dorians, Ionians, Aeolians, and Achaeans. Among them, the Dorians were the first to arrive and the ones who advanced the furthest. They managed to reach the southernmost tip of Greece, the Peloponnese Peninsula, which looks like a maple leaf. 
The Dorians wiped out the Mycenaean civilization and turned the original inhabitants into slaves before settling in the city. This city became Sparta. The Ionians arrived too late to take over Sparta. They founded a metropolis called Athens, which later became a sworn enemy of Sparta. The Greeks were natural-born seafarers and merchants. They established many colonies in Asia Minor, just across the sea from Greece. When the Greeks sold olive oil and cereals to the Phoenicians, both sides learned many skills from each other, most importantly the knowledge of an alphabet and written language. When the Greeks expanded into Asia Minor, the new masters of Mesopotamia, the Persians had their eye on the land as well. The Persians were originally a small tribe, but they had a great leader Cyrus II. According to Herodotus, Cyrus' grandfather was awakened by a nightmare while his daughter was pregnant, a vine growing from the belly of his daughter obscured all of Asia. After Cyrus became fed up with the Babylonian rule, he led the Persians in an assault on the Babylonians and succeeded in conquering them. Moreover, Cyrus' son went on to conquer Egypt and even capture the pharaoh. By this point, the Persians ruled almost the entire world that they knew of, except Greece. The conflict began in the Greek colonies of Asia Minor. The inhabitants here were accustomed to negotiating the affairs of their city-states on their own. When a foreign king arrived and demanded submission, they were unwilling naturally to be governed and refused to pay tribute to the king. When Darius, king of Persia demanded water and earth from the sovereigns of these colonies, namely the Greeks, he was met with rejection from the Athenians and Spartans. Such a response had infuriated Darius, the king of kings. After swiftly defeating the offending Greek colonies, he built a fleet to teach the Greeks who still opposed him especially the Athenians a hard lesson. Soon the Persian fleet captured many islands and cities along the way before landing at Marathon, a place not far from Athens. At Marathon, 10,000 Athenian soldiers were lining up and preparing their formation to resist their enemies. The Athenians knew precisely the meaning of this battle, their freedom, and their lives. They eventually succeeded, causing the 70,000-strong Persian army to suffer heavy casualties. The winning Athenians sent a messenger back home to report their victory. After running wildly down the road for 26 miles, the messenger collapsed on the ground and died of exhaustion. The sport of the marathon run was established in memory of the deceased messenger and this battle. The Persians were defeated, but they were not substantially weakened. Ten years later, Xerxes, Darius's son staged a comeback by mobilizing a massive army from Egypt, Babylon, Asia Minor, and other territories. He devised a two-pronged attack on Greece, by land and water. At a pass called the Thermopylae, the Persians ordered the Spartans to surrender their weapons. The Spartans replied, come and get them yourselves. In response to this, the Persians threatened, we've enough arrows here to blot out the sun. So much the better, cried the Spartans, then we'll fight in the shade. After the confrontation, the Spartans were defeated. All 300 Spartans and 700 of their allies were killed in the battle. All of them had faithfully followed Spartan rules, and none of them fled. On the other hand, Athens was only an empty city by the time the Persian land army arrived. The inhabitants had already evacuated the town and relocated to the nearby island of Salamis. Upon finding Athens abandoned, the furious Persians set the city on fire. Seeing that the Persian fleet was about to surround Salamis's island, 
The Athenians' allies started to panic. They intended to escape by boat and leave the Athenians to their fate. However, the wise Athenian commander managed to work out a solution. He sent a messenger to deliver a letter to Xerxes under cover of night, saying, Make haste and attack, or the Athenians' allies will escape you. So the next day, Xerxes impatiently attacked, but the result was that the smaller and lighter Persian galleys were rammed and sunk by the Greeks' massive ships. With a rueful sense of guilt, Xerxes reluctantly ordered the retreat. Soon afterward, the Persian land army was also ordered to retreat. From that point on, they didn't dare to set foot on Greek soil ever again. After driving out the invaders, the Greeks could eventually develop their culture and art in peace. As you know, philosophy, poetry, and theater were all Greek creations. The Greeks also organized the Olympic Games and developed the concept of democracy. Greece gave birth to philosophers such as Parmenides, Heraclitus, Democritus, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. It also bred historians like Herodotus, Thucydides, and Xenophon. Besides these historical achievements, it also led to the emergence of famous playwrights such as Sophocles, Aeschylus, Euripides, and Aristophanes. There were numerous important figures who one after another propelled Greek civilization to its glorious heights. But the good times did not last long. For a long time, democratic Athens and oligarchic Sparta had experienced animosity towards each other. Feeling that the alliance formed during the Persian Wars had become a tool for the Athenians to exploit the interests of other city-states, Spartans formed a new alliance called the Peloponnesian League to fight the Athenians. And so the Peloponnesian War inevitably broke out. In this war, the Spartans brutally ransacked Athens and cut down all the olive trees in the city. However, the war eventually sapped the strength of the Spartans. As a result, the whole of Greece went into a decline. Amid the chaos, a northern tribe called the Macedonians emerged. Under King Philip II, Macedonia took advantage of the situation created by the Peloponnesian War to conquer Greece and then prepared to march into Persia. However, things didn't go as planned. Before Philip could complete his mission, he was assassinated at his daughter's wedding, leaving behind a vast empire to his son Alexander. Alexander was less than 20 years old at the time. It was said that every time he saw his father take a Greek city-state, young Alexander would cry out, saying, Father won't leave anything for me to conquer when I'm king. Young but ambitious, Alexander was a student of Aristotle, an avid reader of Homer's epics, a brave warrior, and an athlete. A king like this was inspirational for both the Greek and Macedonian soldiers. They were more than willing to fight for him. At one point, Alexander gave away everything he had. His friends asked him in dismay, but what are you leaving for yourself? Hope, he is said to have replied. After more than a decade of warfare, Alexander's empire spanned three continents, from the Balkans in the west to the Indus River in the east. Whenever Alexander came across a new territory, he was eager to conquer it. By the time the exhausted soldiers reached the Indus River, they were reluctant to move on because they were too far from their homeland. Eventually, Alexander was forced to follow his soldiers' requests and return home. A few years later, Alexander succumbed to a sudden onset of malaria. His empire was partitioned into three pieces, the Antigonid dynasty of Greece and mainland Macedonia, 
the Ptolemaic dynasty of Egypt, and the Seleucid Empire of Mesopotamia. Nevertheless, Alexander's long-cherished goal was slowly materializing. The teachings of Aristotle and Greek art were spread to Persia, India, and even China along with Alexander's conquests. Today we call this duration the Hellenistic period. During this period, the Greeks lost their political and military kingdom. They established an unprecedented spiritual realm, the center of which was not in Greece, but in Alexandria, Egypt, where a Greek library was located with a collection of 770,000 scrolls. Later, the Greeks conquered the Romans, the Arabs, and half the world in the same way. In a moment, we will learn how Greek civilization captivated the Europeans of the 15th century. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. Get your free mind snack now.